We are in a three-part message. Uh, three part, this is the week number three of our three-part message, so get your Bible out. We're going to use it a whole lot today. Uh, the series is called When the Devil's at Your Door. Now, if you happen to miss the first two, I challenge you to go back on our website, newlifeca.church, and, and listen to or watch the messages, because this is a series that can really equip you and help you uh, in your walk with God. We've got to understand that we are in a very real, daily, spiritual battle. In other words, what you see with your eyes is not all there is. And, and when you understand that this physical world is real, but the spiritual world is also real, then we understand that what Paul said, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, he said our battle is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. You're like, well, you don't know the flesh and blood that I know. Well, it's not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. We are in a spiritual battle against the forces of darkness. We have a real enemy. He's called Satan. He's called uh, the accuser. He's called Lucifer, the prince of darkness, the evil one, the father of lies, the destroyer, the accuser, and so forth. He's got many, many names, but he's on a mission, John 10, 10. His threefold mission is to steal from you, to kill you, and ultimately to destroy you. And not just you, your children, and your children's children. He is after you and your entire bloodline. He's trying to take out your legacy. He's trying to ruin you. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse number 8, be self-controlled and alert. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Always be on your guard. I'm not talking about being paranoid, but always be on your guard. Satan is going to attack you every single day. He's going to attack your finances. He's going to attack your friendships. He's going to attack your body. He's going to attack your marriages. He's going to attack your spiritual life. And the attack um, is going to be trying to rob you of the blessings that God wants to bring into your life. And so in this message series, we've been looking at some metaphors or some images of Satan. And we're trying to understand his strategies so we can better defeat his plans against us. Doesn't that sound logical? And so, and so in, let me get this thing over here. In week number one, we talked about uh, Satan and we, we discussed that he is the, uh, the deceiver. He's the deceiver. And I use the analogy that I use in a, a little book that I wrote called uh, Brain Power, Loving God with All Your Mind. We talked about how he is the deceiver and he attacks your, what we call our head brain, um, which means your intellect. He attacks your vision, what you see, your prophetic future, your hopes and dreams. He attacks your intellect, uh, your head brain, with, with all kinds of lies. He's constantly lying to you. Then last week, your campus pastor, Pastor Trinity, helped us understand that he is also the, uh, he is the accuser. And when we talk about him being the accuser, we're talking about him attacking what I call in this little book, um, your heart brain. And your heart brain, is, uh, it's, it's your emotions, your feelings. God gave them to you. But he's constantly attacking you and accusing you at an emotional level. Um, you'll never be good enough. You'll never add up. You could never be this, or you're always going to be that way. And he attacks you, he accuses you in the area of your 
emotions, your, your feelings. And y'all know that. I know you do. This week, we're talking about how he is the, he's the destroyer. Okay. He is the destroyer who attacks. There's a, there's a third brain that I talk about. Um, you've got your head brain, which is your intellect. You've got your heart brain, which is your emotions. And you've got your gut brain, which is your free will. Your free will are your choices that you make every day in your life. And so the choices that you make, oh, he's trying to attack you. You're at a crossroads. Am I going to go left? Am I going to go right? What direction am I supposed to go? He's going to attack you in your free will, in your choices, trying to get you to choose pride over God's plan for your life. And so, so he's the destroyer who targets your free will with pride. That's what we're talking about today. Some people feel like the devil would only attack us when we're down, when we're extremely weak, or when we're vulnerable. And we talked about that over the last few weeks. Yeah, baby, he will attack you when you're down, when you're, when you're, when you're vulnerable, and when you're weak. But that's not the only time he will attack you. I believe that he loves to attack you when you're strong. I believe that he loves to attack you when things are going well. Now, I'd like you to indulge me for just a moment. Some of you have experienced tremendous suffering through this COVID season, but some people have experienced just the opposite. You're in a better season in your life than you've been in a long time, and you're like, how could that be? Well, probably because you weren't infected by COVID, but probably because, you know what? You've been able to spend more time with your family than you have been able to spend in years. Because um, you haven't, while there hasn't been as much maybe money coming in, you also haven't had the opportunity to spend much money either. So you might have a little bit more, some of you, in your bank account than you've ever had before. So you're feeling maybe at the top of your game. Uh, you're feeling like, man, I just feel really, I mean, really, really close. Of course, some of you parents are going, are you crazy? Send them back to school, man. But, but the rest of you are like, I, I, I really do feel closer to my family than I've felt in a long time. Let me just caution you. There, there might be a time, uh, this might be the time that you're the most vulnerable. Because here's what I know. When I am the least aware of the attack in my life, that's when I'm the most vulnerable. You ever try to really work on a relationship like your marriage or a relationship with a child? You worked really, really hard on it and uh, things got better and so you kind of began to relax. When, when you are the least aware, you're the most vulnerable. Not only will the devil kick you when you're down, but he'll attack you when things are going well. And I want to illustrate this with a story from the Old Testament. It's about a time where Satan poised this very strategic attack against King David, against David. He, he didn't attack David when David was discouraged. He didn't attack David when David was down, but instead he attacked David when David was at the height of his power, when he was at the height of his popularity. And if you don't know the story about King David, let me just kind of give you a 30-second jet tour of David's life. He was just an ordinary shepherd boy, and he was tending to sheep. And when the people of God were in a battle against another army, there was this giant named Goliath that was hurling insults at God. And so David thought to himself, what are you guys afraid of? Why don't you just, you know what, I'll take this guy on. 
And so this teenage boy ended up taking down this enemy force named Goliath, and suddenly, overnight, he is a social media bomb. I mean, he just explodes. Who is this guy, people were asking. And suddenly, overnight, he comes and he rises, he rises to power. He's anointed as the king of Israel, and he becomes a war hero like a hero. See, when David goes out to fight in the wars with his mighty men, he always returns. And his men always return. And they always return victoriously. This is where David is living right now in his life. In fact, he was so popular that the women of the communities, now now get this, pay attention to this, they would write songs about David. They would write songs about David. They would gather in the streets and they would sing these songs. I mean, David is at the height of his game. I don't know about you, but I've been married for almost 31 years and my wife has never written a song about me and sang it in the streets when I came returning from battle. He is at the height of his game and then he stumbles And he didn't stumble because he was weak. He didn't stumble because he was vulnerable. He stumbled because of his pride. What do you think, for those of you that know David's story, what do you think was his his biggest sin that he committed, his worst sin that he committed in his life? You might be thinking to yourself, what was the sin with Bathsheba? Remember, David stayed at home from the war and he sent his men out to fight in the war and he's, he goes, decides he's gonna go out on his rooftop at night and all the houses are built on the side of a hill so he could see the rooftops of people below and he looks down and he sees this woman naked and bathing on top of her house and he's like, Shazam, I gotta meet her and he invites her back to his house even though she's a married woman and he's a married man and he invites her back to his house, he seduces her, has, a, has an extramarital affair with her And then he tries to hide it and cover it up. He impregnates her. Which is worse, David's adultery? Or how about the murder that he commits? Because not only did he he seduce her and impregnate her, but um, he decides now I've got to come up with this plan to kill her husband so that I can get him out of the picture so I can marry her real quick. And nobody, nobody will know. So he devises the plan. Her husband Uriah, he has him sent to the front of the battle lines because he's a soldier in David's army, the irony of that. And then he has all the other soldiers withdraw. So her husband's left there by himself and he dies. Which is worse, the sin of adultery, the sin of murder, or the sin of pride? I would say to you that it's the sin of pride because pride is the root of the rest of the sins. In the biggest struggle that David had, along with so many of us, us in the room, watching online, the biggest struggle that we have is this sin, this root sin of pride. And so in First Chronicles chapter 21, I want to begin reading to you uh, a little bit of the story of where, of where we're at now, beginning in verse number one. S- listen to the first three words. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Now, you got you to understand this. Um, you got to uh, pause for just a second, if you would, please. Give a turnaround, would you please? Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday, Sandra. Yes, amen. Praise the Lord. 
So if you don't know, Sandra just made her grand entrance. Those of you watching online, she's dressed in a flowing robe and she radiantly came in here and so we're very proud, amen. Well, David's worst sin was the sin of pride. And so what happens is David just came out of these two giant battles that he won against the Moabites and he won against the Philistines. So he came out of these two battles, came home, the women were singing songs that they had written about him. He's full of pride. And then he decides that he's going to take a census. And you're like, what's the big deal? Well, first of all, Satan came at him when he was confident, when he was strong, when he was victorious, and he incited him to take, take a census. David was at the top of his game. In fact, here is, here is David's favorite song on Spotify. Yeah, 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 yeah. We are the champions. We are the champions. No That's it. That's it. Because we are the champions. <laughs> Give it up for Brian. Good job, baby. Way to go. Good job. Brayden, way to go, baby. Hey, listen. That's the song. The favorite song he has on Spotify. He's been winning the battles, and so Satan comes up to him and says, dude, you got to take a census of everybody in the community. After all, David, you're pretty powerful, aren't you? You are pretty amazing. You conquered kingdoms, and now you have all these people under your command. David, you, you should take a census and total them all up and just see how strong and how powerful you are. You can't just guess about your, your domination and your strength. David, you should take a census and count up all of those people that you rule in your kingdom, David, because you are mighty and you are strong and you are worthy of honor. And Satan does this. You're like, is taking a census wrong? No. In fact, in, a little earlier in the Old Testament, Moses took a census. In fact, it was the will of God. But this one, this one was different. What's, what's wrong is the motive behind the census. Because you listen to me. Your motives matter to God. And for David, the goal or the motive was to take the census to find out how many people were under his dominion, under his control. It was to honor himself. And that was disgusting to God. Satan loves to attack you when you're full of pride. That, that was David's issue. But the problem is David couldn't see it in himself. Isn't that true? Hit the pause button for just a second. Isn't it true for all of us? We can't really see it in ourselves, but we can see it crystal clearly in other people, can't we? Oh yeah, you ask me what's wrong with them. I got you, right? we have a hard time identifying it or maybe even admitting our own struggles. Unpause. Others could see it in David. There was a friend of David, David's, who was the commander of the troops. His name was Joab. Oh, baby, Joab could see this pride 
in David. Joab was a very loyal man to David, but check out what he says in the next few verses. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, may the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? The king's word, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left and went throughout Israel and then came back to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to David. In all, in all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him was repulsive to him. Joab did not include these two guys, or possibly their tribes, Levi and Benjamin, because the king's command was repulsive to him. And then check out the very next verse, verse number seven. This command was also evil in the sight of God. So he punished Israel. What command? The command to take the census was evil in the eyes of God. This prideful census was evil in the eyes of God. And here's what I want us to understand. You, your pride always, always, 100% of the time, affects other people. Amen. It doesn't just affect you. It affects other people. In fact, David's pride affected so many people. It costed people their lives. The taking of the census costed people their lives. How many? Allow me to read it to you in verse number 14. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. Because of his pride, 70,000 men in Israel died. Which is worse, adultery, murder, or pride? Well, I submit to you they're all sins in the eyes of God. But, but I am telling you, the root of it, of the sin of adultery, which led to murder, was pride. When David repented of his sins, hallelujah, we have a God that hears us when we cry out to him, when we mess up. <laughs> David didn't just mess up once, didn't just mess up twice. He messed up at least three times, according to what we're reading today. And, and the first time when David, David realized he committed the sin of adultery and had gone through all this, he cried out to the prophet Nathan and he cried out to God and he said, I've sinned against the Lord. He admitted it. But when he committed the sin of pride, he added an adjective following the word sin. He didn't just say, I've sinned against the Lord, but he said, I've sinned greatly by doing this. That word wasn't just put in there uh, because they needed something to fill the page. The deadly sin of pride. If you're taking notes, this is what I want you to understand. You may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Wow. Some of you, you're vulnerable right now. And here's the key. You don't even know it. You don't know it. Because that's what pride does. It, it creeps up on us. 
Let me give you another example. There's a really cool guy, a story in the Bible. His name is Uzziah. What a great name. And Uzziah was a great man in the Old Testament. He did something pretty cool. Let me kind of tell you this. He, he came up with this innovative idea for warfare. And so he, he, he was an inventor in addition to being a king. And it said as long as he followed the Lord, he, he was, he was, uh, he was um, recognized greatly by God. Here's what he invented. He invented these war machines that would um, somehow, kind of like a catapult, would fire arrows, flaming arrows, a long distance. It was a, a machine, like an industrial revolution was taking place way back then with Uzziah. And so when the enemy would come, as they would get close, they were too far away to fire their own arrows because they couldn't fire them far enough to get to his, his area, but he could fire arrows at them. <laughs> and giant stones, and sometimes those stones would be on fire as well. He learned how to fire those with this machine. He was another war hero. And, and then it says, the scripture says about him in 2 Chronicles 26, verse number 16, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Pride can take you out of leadership. Those of you that are leaders, hear that loud and clear. Pride can take away your credibility. Pride can hurt your marriage. Pride will definitely negatively impact your intimacy with God. Pride will hurt your friendships. Pride can cause you to lose credibility when you're trying to share your witness. Pride will take you down. In fact, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Pride always precedes destruction. I don't want you to be destroyed. God doesn't want you to be destroyed. I don't want to be destroyed then how do we identify this in ourselves? Well, here's a couple of things that if you find yourself thinking this or saying this, or it's going through in your brain, but you're self-controlled not to say it, pride just might be inside if you need to deal with it. Well, I'm, I'm all right. I'm a good guy. I'm kind of holy. I'm, I, I'd never do that. I mean, can you believe she carries herself like that? Can you believe that he walks around acting like he knows it all? Can, listen, I mean, I would never be like that. I know God's word. I'm really faithful to church. I'd never do that. In fact, we need to pray for him because because I, I want to tell you what he's doing right now. I'm not going to gossip. That's not what I'm calling it. I'm calling it prayer. I, I, I would never do that. I, I've worked hard my whole life. Self-made. This wasn't handed to me. I've earned everything. I got a lot because I've worked hard and I earned it and I deserve it. Or, or maybe it manifests itself like this. Well, I know I've got a problem. I, I know I do, but I can't tell anybody because I got to keep my reputation up. Yeah, that, that comes before destruction. Or how about this? Who are you to tell me what to do? I, I, I'm, I'm the only one working at this marriage. It's not, it's not my fault. Don't you tell me this is my fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault. Pride comes before destruction. What's the problem? The problem is pride. And how does God feel toward the proud? Well, James tells, I'm glad you asked. James tells us the answer to that question in James 4, verse number 6. But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, here it is, God opposes 
the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I was looking at that because I've read it a lot. And I thought, what does the word oppose mean? And I was fascinated by this. Oppose in the Greek is a military term, meaning to bring the full force of an army. To bring the full, can you imagine the full force of the United States Army coming against you? Listen to this. Um, If you stand and say, I deserve the glory that God should get, then, then God is telling you through this scripture, he is pitting every bit of his power will be poised against you. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Oswald Chambers said, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Then in verse number seven, the very next verse, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I think all too often, we like the latter part of that. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But there's a precursor to that. The precursor is submit yourselves then to God. Fascinating Snapple fact for you. Are you ready for this? Um, It's not really a Snapple fact, but it's a study fact. But the word submit, the word submit is also a military term. It is a military term that means to voluntarily rank under, to choose submission to the one that ranks higher. Now you realize that rank doesn't confer power, it imposes responsibility. But in a militaristic setting, when you have a title that is a rank above somebody, you actually can, if you're a rank below, defy their orders. What's that called when you defy the orders of a superior rank? It's insubordination, absolutely. Um, It's grounds for severe discipline. God gives you free will. He gives you the ability to make choices. And remember, Satan is the destroyer. He's trying to destroy you in your choices. So as somebody who definitely falls under the rank of God, he still gives you the ability to choose if you are going to follow his commands from the commander in chief. Submit yourselves, rank under, voluntarily submit to God. Then when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Because when you submit to God, you have the power of God, you have the presence of God, and you have the strength of God. And then after you submit to God, you can resist the devil. And you can say, devil, get away from me. You have no place here. You have no power here. Not today, not in my house, not in my family, not in my finances, not in the people that I love. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. But you must first submit to God because the power of God in you is greater than the evil forces outside of you. When it comes to heaven and to hell, um, to light and to darkness, to the power of good and the power of evil forces, there is no middle ground. You don't kind of love God. You don't sort of follow Jesus. The Bible says that friendship with this world is hatred toward God. I'm not talking about God's grace isn't sufficient. Of course it is. 
but your will, your choices that you make should be intentional, willful choices to follow God all the days of your life. That's why we submit. That's why I voluntarily fall under your authority. God, your word is my guide. Your spirit empowers me. You you give me the ability, God, to do your will on your behalf when I submit to you. Then, after I've submitted to God, I have the ability to resist the evil one, and he will flee from me. Did you hear that? He will flee from me, not me fleeing from him. There are times that you need to run like a chicken man, but there are other times that you need to understand under the submission and the authority of God. I watched a show the other night. I don't know if you ever watched New Amsterdam, but my wife and I kind of liked that show. I was watching the show and there was this nurse in the ER that it was, there have been all kinds of problems. Some of you know what I'm talking about, all kinds of problems in the ER and there was assaults going on and she hired a bunch of police officers to, uh, to work in the ER and that wasn't working out so well. So she bumped into some, ba- some bouncers, some, uh, some bar bouncers and they were like unemployed due to COVID. What a great story. She's like, hey, come work here. And one guy starts going nutsoid crazy. I don't know if he was a, uh, some sort of a coming off of a substances or whatever, but he starts yelling and screaming. She gets, she's the little boy. She gets in his face and says, you will sit down and you will follow the rules in this ER. Will you skip back to your bed right now? And he's like, so he backs up and goes sit down. And then the camera angle turns and there's this big bouncer standing behind her standing like this. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was like, and she didn't even know it, you know, and she turned around, oh, okay. Well, anyway, that, listen, that's what it is. When you submit to God, then when you resist the devil, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna flee, not because of your power, but because of the power that resides in you and around you from the one who is empowering you because greater is he who is in you than he was in this old world. You're never more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. And, 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 and really, pride is declaring our independence from God. But humility is declaring our total and complete dependence upon God. I, I need you, moment by moment. I need you to guide me. I need you to direct me. I need your word to direct my steps, God. I need your spirit comforting me, convicting me speaking to me. I need you for my next breath. I need you to know, to help me make the right decisions. God, I need you, I need you to help me love this person when this person is unlovable. I don't know how to do it. I need your strength when I'm weak. I need you every single moment of my life. That, that submission to God. That, that's humility. And when we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. There is no middle ground. There's no way around this one. It's all Jesus because he is everything. Why do you think that God opposes the proud? Why does he bring his full forces of the army of almighty God against people who are full of pride? It's because, as I stated at the very beginning of this three-part series, all the way back, even before the creation of this world, God had angels, and there were three archangels. I told you there was Gabriel, there was Michael, and there was Lucifer. And we know that Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven, but he became so full of this sin, pride. He wanted to be like God, and that's why God brought the full forces 
of his army against him. And he kicked him out of heaven. What was his big weakness? Check this out. I'm actually going to read it to you from the Bible as it recaps it for us from Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 14, verse number 13 and 14. These are the words of God speaking about Lucifer. Are you ready? Some of y'all have been wondering, where is this at in the Bible? This is one of the places. Again, I recap this in the book that I wrote, but um, in verse, verse 13 and 14, you said in your heart, this is what God's saying about Lucifer. This is what you said, Lucifer. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I will, my will, I will, my will. That's what Satan would say. Lucifer was all about himself. Jesus was all about the glory of God. Lucifer was all about my will. Jesus was all about thy will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, after we celebrate the Passover, after we celebrate um, uh, uh, Palm Sunday, Later on in this holy week, what we typically celebrate, recognize, identify as Monday, Thursday into Good Friday, Jesus found himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he knew that he was going to give his life and suffer more brutally than words could describe. And, 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 and in agony, he was praying in the garden. And the Bible says that sweat with drops of blood came pouring out of the pores on his, on his head. And he cried out to the Father. He cried out, Daddy God, Abba, Father, if there's any other way, may this cup of suffering be removed from me. Then in submission, he voluntarily ranked under. And he said the word, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my plan, but your plan. It's not about me. I'm here to glorify you. It's not about my importance. It's about your kingdom. It's not about my popularity. It's about your sovereignty. It's not about my wishes. It's about your will. Humility is not weakness. When you're humble, you have the strength of God. Amen. Hear this. You're never weaker than when you're full of pride. And you're never stronger than when you're humble before God. Amen. Never. Because when you submit to God, he fills you with his presence. Then you have the power to say, I resist you, you evil, foul, foul foe. Get thee behind me. You have no business here. Get out of my life, not in my house, not in my family, not in my church. It's the power of Jesus Christ dwelling inside of me. That's when you have the power. We are in a spiritual battle, ladies and gentlemen. It's not if you're under attack, you are under attack attack. And how do we fight back? We fight back with the word of Almighty God. I, I said to you in this series, I said to you in this series, I said that 
Satan comes as the deceiver to attack your intellect. I said that he comes as the accuser to attack your, your emotions. And I said he comes as the destroyer to attack your choices and your free will. Really what he's doing is he's masquerading. He's trying to be your dad. He's trying to be your father. He wants to be your influencer. He wants to be the one who steps into that role that guides you and directs you and, and, and leads you. I mean, he's, he's doing all he can do to be your dad. But you already have a heavenly father. You don't need another dad. You have a father in heaven who loves you, who cherishes you, who gave it up for you. You have a father in heaven who will keep you safe in the center of the palm of his hand. He is your heavenly father. Don't fall under the fallacy, the, the notion that he's somehow going to support you. He is going to deceive you. He is going to accuse you, and he will destroy you unless you fight back. And how do I fight back? Well, whenever the devil attacks our pride, hey, you got it going on. Hey, listen, you don't need anybody's help. You can do it yourself. You're pretty important. I mean, look at you. Look at you. You've got the shoes. You've got the purse. You've got the house. You've got the car. Look at you. you got it going on. Don't let anybody else know that you're hurting in your life. Don't let anybody else tell you what to do. Who are they? You don't need anybody else. You don't even need a church. You can do this on your own. That's when you draw out your gladius. That's when you draw out your sword, your close quarter combat weapon, the only offensive weapon that God has given to us. And you say, I will humble myself before the Lord Almighty, and he will lift me up in due time. That's when you draw at your gladius and you say, I know I've been called by your name. I will humble myself. I will pray. I will seek your face and heaven will hear my prayers and you're going to forgive my sins and you're going to heal my land. That's when you pull out your gladius and say, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, for you alone are good and your mercies endure forever. You pull out your gladius and you say like Paul, the apostle, less of me and more of you in my life. Here's what I want you to do. I want to shut down my portion of this gathering today before I go to our Modesto campus. And I'd like you to stand with me in just a moment. And I'm going to declare over you some lordship declarations. And as I'm declaring these over you, there is no, it's not a responsive reading. I'm not going to wait for you to say something. But the challenge is during this time, if at any point in what I'm saying you agree, I'd love you just to close your eyes and slip your hands up to heaven at, at home, wherever you're at, and just, and just agree by simply saying the word amen. amen. Let it be so. As I declare these lordship declarations over you, would you stand to your feet right now, please? Yes. And just close your eyes for just a moment. Because... Because of who Jesus is, we're saying to him, I voluntarily submit to your lordship. Why? Because you are king of kings. You are lord of lords. You are the alpha 
and the omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the first and the last because you don't just prowl around like a roaring lion. You are the lion of the tribe of Judah and you are coming back with a sword that's coming out of your mouth declaring the word of God because you are righteous, because you are true, because you are my redeemer. You are my savior. You are my friend. You are my rock. You are my righteousness because you did for me what I could not do for myself, God. And because you came to give me life and you came to give me life more abundantly and because greater is he who is in me than he who is in this old world, I submit to God today. I resist the devil and he will flee from me. We are in a spiritual battle and we don't have what it takes to win the battle on our own. That's why you're never stronger than when you're humble. We're never stronger than when we're broken and when we're dependent upon him because when we're weak, God, that's when you are strong. The challenge I have for everyone in this room and listening online today is be weak and be broken and be courageous enough to ask for help, to call on his name. And realize that you don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You weren't designed to do it on your own. You are designed to need him. And we are designed to need his people. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord.